Hi, it's Jeremy Shatton from An Earful. I've been running the blog for over a decade now, and I think it's about time I did a podcast. So welcome to the first introductory episode of Discover Music with An Earful. I like to call myself an omnivorous musical obsessive, but how did I get that way? Part of it, I think, comes from the story my mom told me that she used to play the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand for Me in My Crib to Wake Me Up When I Was Sleeping. I think that got into my DNA and just turned me into a music fanatic for life. In the 60s, we listened to a lot of Beatles. My parents were into them. They also liked Simon and Garfunkel, Yardbirds, Bob Dylan, that kind of thing, and a lot of classical music. My father had an extensive collection of that and had the classical music radio station playing all the time. If the 60s was all about the Beatles, by the early 70s, I was hooked on the AM radio and hearing songs like Bad Luck by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes or Rock the Boat or Radar Love, Ricky Don't Lose That Number. These were the songs that captured my imagination and really made me sit by the radio, literally waiting to hear them. I would make tapes from the radio sometimes, too, and that was the start of my mixtape fanaticism. But the next thing that happened was is I had the money to buy my first record. I was sitting at my desk doing my homework, listening to my AM radio, when I heard these sparkling piano chords and this swooping melody and this great story about a pinball wizard. And I thought, I've got to have that record. And my mom told me that there was a Sam Goody near where she was working in Midtown. So I scraped together all the money I had, crumpled bills and change, and I gave it to her. And I said, please buy me Tommy, the original motion picture soundtrack, so that I can play Pinball Wizard by Elton John whenever I want. What was that? I put on the Tommy soundtrack and heard Oliver Reed and Anne-Margaret. Who were these people and why were they singing on this record? They certainly didn't sound like singers. Yes, Pinball Wizard was on there and a couple of other good songs, Tina Turner doing The Acid Queen and Eric Clapton's Eyesight to the Blind was okay. But this was the first time that I realized buying a record could be disappointing. And it was my first record. I soon learned that it was a good idea to know a little bit more about a record before you bought it. I could have just bought the single of Pinball Wizard and listened to the song to my heart's content. And then one day I was sitting at my desk again and heard the Who's version of Pinball Wizard. And then I knew I had really blown it. I'd love to hear from you too about record buying disasters you may have experienced. It's good to get this kind of thing off your chest. We all make mistakes. We fall victim to the hype. We somebody we hear one song and it sounds good and we buy the whole album. There's all kinds of ways you can slip up. But one cool thing about it is that in this day and age, you can preview everything somewhere, whether it's on YouTube or Spotify or Bandcamp, and try to get the music that you love and not something you want to sell later on. Things improved a little while after that, 
when I got my first Radio Shack stereo for my 12th birthday, 1976. I also got three singles, Devil Woman by Cliff Richard, Magic Man by Hart, and a reissue of The Beatles, Helter Skelter, and I've Got to Get You Into My Life. That's when I realized you could have these songs and you could put them on whenever you wanted to. I started building my own collection, and my next full-length LP was my first copy, I now have three, of Revolver. Besides my AM radio, other music was coming at me from my older brother, who had a lot of jazz and funk, Motown, and my sister, who was heavily into the singer-songwriters. She had Dylan, she had Carole King, and she also loved disco, so she had the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack right away, and a lot of other great songs from Donna Summer and other people like that. And then my other sister was into Hot Tuna and the Grateful Dead, and I kind of liked Papa John Creech, loved that violin sound. So I was hearing music from all different places, and then I met somebody who would be very special in my life. Mike Diamond lived down the street from me. We both went to the same school. It was kind of expected that we'd become friends because his oldest brother, David, was best friends with my brother, Greg. So we kind of had an arranged friendship almost, but it turned out that we really got along and we were both heavily into music. Even at that time, I walked into his room. He had a good stereo. He had some vinyl. He had a drum set. I figured this was my kind of guy. He also had an older brother named Steven who was on the cutting edge of music. And that's where we first heard Elvis Costello, all the stiff recording artists, Young Marble Giants, The Slits, I mean, all these things that he introduced us to, The Raincoats, really became formative in how my taste would continue to develop. It was also around that time that Mike D and I formed a band with John Barry called the Young Aborigines. The idea of the Young Aborigines was to incorporate all the music we loved into one bizarre new sound. So that could include salsa, because I grew up on the Upper West Side where there was a lot of Cuban immigrants and a lot of salsa music in the streets. And also post-punk, the Susie and the Banshees, Gang of Four, Public Image, and then there was also dance music. We just loved Michael Jackson. We loved Could You Be Loved by Bob Marley and the Wailers. We tried to put all this stuff together. And it was a little bit rough and raw, but we learned about how to be in a band, how to make music, how to write songs. And it gave me a deeper understanding of the records I was listening to. Then we literally had a front row seat at the explosion of a new genre of music came out of the Bronx hip-hop, rap. At first, I wasn't sure about it, but then I heard the message, and I understood, and it spoke to me. Somebody who lived in New York, this was the real sound of what we went through in the city. Now, obviously, we all know now that the message wasn't quite as street as it sounded at the first, but it really was an important song to me because it, it made me fall in love with hip-hop, and I still love it to this day. Thank you. 
Around that time, I was also taking a music appreciation class at City As School. And the teacher played Edgar Varese. When I heard that, something in my body changed. It was a new form of music. Even though it was decades old, I knew that there was a whole world of sound and organized sound and radical space-shifting sonics that I was not aware of and would have to dig deeper. I went to the Coliseum bookstore with my dad, and he offered to buy me a record. So I pulled Schoenberg's Puro Lunaire out of the stacks and brought it home. And that was another introduction to a style, a sound. And my mind and ears expanded. The thing is, unlike a lot of people, I never settled into one type of music. I just kept listening to all these different things. And one week of concerts could include Ornette Coleman, Public Image Limited, The Clash. It, there really was no limit to what I wanted to listen to. I was seeking things that nourished me, that fed me mind, body, soul, and heart. And that's what I continue to do today. But it's interesting because there was a period when I thought I was keeping up, but I wasn't really keeping up. Now I'm skipping over a lot here. The transformation of young Aborigines into the Beastie Boys, my college band, Silly Hate, and my post-college band, Suzanne and the Elders, all the other records I bought, all the other new music that I heard. But in the early 2000s, I was buying stuff from the BMG Club, I had Strokes, I had Walkman, French Kicks. But then I heard, I turned my camera on by Spoon in a TV commercial, and I thought, wow, what a great song, I'm going to get that record. And I mentioned this to a friend of mine, and they said, oh yeah, but you know, their earlier albums are even better. I was like, earlier albums? Well, who's Spoon? And I realized that I had kind of let things slide a little on the music discovery. So I made a vow to keep up. One way I kept up was by listening to Spinning on Air with David Garland or Soundcheck with John Schaefer, two great public radio shows. John Schaefer introduced me to Blackjacks. He introduced me to The Clientele. He introduced me to Gecko Turner. These were all fantastic musicians that continue to be on my playlists. Blackjack's first album, After Robots, was my number one album of 2009. I also read Q Magazine and then Mojo Magazine and eventually Pitchfork and lots of websites. And then when I started my blog in 2009, publicists started sending me a lot of great contemporary classical music and other sounds that I was able to put into my head. And I've never looked back. So what can you expect from music discovery with an earful? I'm trying to shine a light on music that feeds me, body, mind, heart, soul, 
sometimes all at once. Now, some of this music is drastically underheard. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be focusing exclusively on avant-garde obscurities, although those might be in there. But it's just music that I think is coming from a place of creativity, artistry, sincerity, emotional connection. Even if it's a fluffy pop song, I think you can tell the difference between when somebody means it or when something has been, shall we say, assembled by committee. So I'm hoping that by introducing you to music that you might not have heard, you'll find something new to fall in love with. And for me, there really is nothing like making that connection with somebody, even if it's a one-on-one -on -one exchange where I play them a record in my apartment and they're turned on and they want to hear more and they want to see this artist live, they want to buy their music. That to me is one of the most fulfilling experiences I can have. I also plan to include other voices on the show, curators, creators, people who've introduced me to great music, because I don't want it to just be my voice, but I want you to hear from others. One thing to keep in mind is that a lot of the music that is fed to listeners on the home pages of sites like Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, those are all bought and paid for slots. It's not really based on anything other than that. So the music that I introduce you to may only have a thousand views or a thousand listens, but it is great music. And I think you'll thank me for introducing you to it. At least that's what's happened in the past with other people who I've introduced to some of my favorites. With all that in mind, here are some notes on three recordings that I reviewed recently. The first is Enigma, the first string quartet by Anna Thorvalds-Dotir. This premiered in 2019, and now we have a spectacular recording by the Spectral Quartet. Thorvalds-Dotir is one of the preeminent orchestral composers of our time, and she transfers all of that immersive sonic knowledge into the four instruments here. Each movement takes you into new territory for the string quartet with sounds that assemble into an immersive pool that pulls you in. Sometimes the strings sound like a distant wind or someone breathing. But there are melodies and sustained notes that interleave in a glassy fashion, sustained drones all assembling in a sound world that seems as visual as it is sonic. They actually have a virtual reality performance planned for 2022. I hope it comes to New York. Find this recording on Sonoluminous, on Bandcamp, on Spotify, wherever you listen to music. It will be well worth your while. What if one of the best albums of 2021 wasn't an album at all, but a playlist? I'm talking about the series of songs released by Holly Miranda, Am Parsley, and Chris Maxwell as part of their I Me Records label. This is a completely independent label. Every 10th release, they tithe to the community. 
So their hearts are in the right place. But more importantly, these are three of the best singer-songwriters around. Holly Miranda especially has been probably my number one or two music discovery of the 21st century. And I was really excited to hear that she was going completely independent and could do things the way she wanted to. The songs they've assembled here range from the hilarious time-traveling sharks, hilarious yet tuneful by the Droplets, which is the three of them, and it's the same group that recorded my theme song, to the moving Exiled and Alicante, or Holly's cover of Bonnie Raitt's Nick of Time that will rip your heart out in ways you didn't think this oft-played song could. And M. Parsley, who used to record as Ambrosia Parsley, it's a really funny story, you should ask her about it, has a song called Kindness of Strangers that is a modern classic. Gordon Lightfoot should record this song. Anybody with a guitar and a voice should record this song. So I assembled all these songs together in the I Knee Records Experience playlist, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. You can also find it on iKneeRecords.com, on Bandcamp, on Spotify, wherever you listen to music. I never thought I'd be a Tyler, the Creator fan. When he first came out, his music was not that great and his lyrical content was just designed for shock value. I wasn't interested. But I kept listening, I kept going back. And in 2019, he put out Igor, which was a really good record and full of a mature artistry that I did not expect to hear from him. Now we have Call Me If You Get Lost. Now, things may change, but right now it's at number 18 on my best of the year so far. I'm really amazed by how he manages to shift gears with such a casual virtuosity from synth pop to R&B to lover's rock. And I love that he has his mother on there. He has a voice memo from her, and she says, I'd stand in front of a bullet on God over this one. Somehow she makes her concern ours, and he puts that on there for a reason, to strengthen the bond between him, the artist, and us, the listener. Have you ever changed your mind about an artist? Let me know. If you want to know what a smile sounds like, listen to Barcelona one of the new songs from Esperanza, the latest album by Brazilian singer-songwriter, producer Malu Magalhães. She recorded the album about two years ago in Portugal with her fellow Brazilian, Mario Caldado Jr. And it really is just a sublimely pleasurable album. She perfects her blend of bossa nova, 50s-inflected pop, soul, funk, jazz, and folk. It really is a wonderful record, and I think it will brighten your day. Now, a quick word about genre. So far, we've heard about contemporary classical, hip-hop, rock, pop, folk, singer-songwriter. And I wonder if you would prefer to hear episodes that focus on one genre. Now, throughout my day, I'm listening to multiple genres of music, just going with my mood but I do keep track of things on Spotify in a bewildering variety of playlists based on classical, electronic, hip hop, rock, 
pop, folk, etc. But if you would rather hear something where you know what you're going in, you're going to hear about three hip-hop records, or you're going to hear only about contemporary classical, let me know and I'll consider the way I want to approach this. I might just mix it up and do one way one time and another way the next time, because that makes things fun. Believe it or not, I do listen to older music as well, whether crate digging for out of print, near classics, or looking in my collection just for something that feels right on that day. And also in amazing reissues, there still is an incredible catalog market out there. And one of the most incredible recent releases was the complete Lee Morgan Live at the Lighthouse. Decades ago, I found a double album called Live at the Lighthouse by Lee Morgan in my brother's collection. And I was amazed by the performances on there. One of his best bands, Jimmy Merritt on bass, Harold Mayburn on piano, Mickey Roker on drums, and the marvelous Benny Mopin on sax and bass clarinet. Now we have all the concerts he recorded at the Lighthouse in those early days in the 70s. And now I might not tell you to listen to all seven and a half hours in one sitting like I did the other day, but you really should listen to all of it. This is the best clue we have yet to where Morgan was heading if he had lived longer into the 70s. And I think that Blue Note has really done us a service by putting all of this out there. If you have the cash, it looks like a nice doorstopper for your collection. But either way you hear it, just get to it. Well, I think I've given you enough of an earful for now. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you discovered something new to love that inspired you to broaden your listening and go deeper into today's music. Thanks also to The Droplets, Holly Miranda, Anne Parsley, and Chris Maxwell for providing the theme song. I've put notes about the recent music I talked about in the show notes and also links to find an earful everywhere. I hope you'll connect. Tell me what you thought about the show, what new music you're listening to, or to seek a personal musical consultation for you or your business. I look forward to hearing from you, and I hope you look forward to the next episode of Discover Music with an Earful. Musical joy, running in every direction.